You're listening to the free edition of Sweden in Focus from The Local. If you would like to listen to a full-length version of the podcast, as well as an additional midweek episode, please check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade to Membership Plus. Here's this week's free edition. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to Sweden in Focus, the locals podcast made possible by our members. We are looking closely this week at the drive to unionize Sweden's tech sector, where a lot of the locals' readers and listeners work. So for our second bonus episode of the week, we're going to listen to the familiar voice of our Nordic editor Richard Orange and his recent interview with Henry Catalini-Smith, chairman of the Unionen Trade Union Club at Spotify. The interview was recorded on the 14th of April, a couple of days after Unionen submitted its request to start negotiations with Spotify over the introduction of a collective bargaining agreement. Last week, after the interview we're about to hear was recorded, Spotify pushed back against union efforts by distributing leaflets to employees in Sweden, arguing against the need for a collective bargaining agreement. And that prompted us to write an article examining whether tech workers stand to lose or gain from a collective bargaining agreement. And we'll add a link to that article in the show notes. Now, if you were listening earlier in the week, you'd have heard Sen Kanner talk about how workers are unionising at Klarna. And now we'll hear why Henry Catalini-Smith wanted to start a union club at Spotify, how he tailored the message to the company's many immigrant workers, how layoff announcements have affected the company, how management reacted to his union efforts, and much more. Thank you, as always, to all members who support our independent journalism. And if you're considering joining, we'd love to have you, and we'll add a link to our current offers in the show notes. Now, let's listen to the interview. When was the moment you decided that Spotify should unionise and that you wanted to be involved? So, sometime last year, I was watching events unfold in the world, and I was thinking as well, you know, I've been in Sweden close on seven years, still not feeling really connected to the place, and I just got the idea in my head, you know, this whole thing with a collective bargaining agreement is dead normal here, we don't have one at Spotify, So I'm a bit of an outsider in the country, but so is Spotify. It's kind of a way for me and the company to go together and become more Swedish in the same time. So, you know, started asking around and there was a lot of interest straight off the bat. So it's gone from there. And why do you think, I mean, Spotify has a lot of Swedish workers. Why do you think Swedish workers hadn't hadn't moved to unionize the company already? Yeah, I've thought about this a lot, actually. Um, I think with Spotify, it's a bit of a weird case because so many of the people at Spotify are immigrants who've moved to Sweden to work there. And um, something is 
important about that. There's a different structure and tone that the message needs when you're speaking to immigrants versus Swedes when it comes to like promoting collective bargaining. So when in the past, when Tay Union has tried to set up meetings to get people at Spotify interested, it's kind of fallen a bit flat because I don't think that the standard message that's worked really well in Sweden for Swedes, I don't think that has that the same effect and impact with uh, immigrants. So I think it's taken someone from abroad to come along to restructure the message for people at Spotify to actually be able to digest. How do you sell it to other immigrant tech workers who are, who are in Sweden? I mean, what do you do that Unionen doesn't? I think I, I focus a lot on the difference between Sweden and the countries that we're from. Because a lot of us have moved here. Like I'm from the UK and I was quite surprised when I came to Sweden. You know, When you're in the UK, you have this idea that it's one of the sort of top countries in the world in terms of quality of life. And I came to Sweden and I realized I've kind of been lied to. It's a dump compared to this place. And over time, I've come to realize that part of what has made Sweden that way is basically decades and decades of strong union power. Like in the UK in the 80s, Thatcher kind of crushed the union movement. And that didn't happen here. And instead, it's a sort of alternate future where there's no Thatcher and, well, things are good. And when you sort of put it to people in that respect, it's more in context for them as people who've also come to Sweden and been surprised by, you know, how, how nice it is. What were the first moves you took to sort of to try and build a, a workers club? So um, mid-November-ish, I, um, so there's a, there was a thread on Slack about Frisbord's uh, Bidrag, which is a wellness allowance in Sweden. It's tax exempt. A bunch of people want it in Stockholm. And I started looking at that thread and thinking, ah, oh, these people are going to do an open letter with a bunch of signatures. And that's not going to work because the company is looking to cut op- like operating expenses at the moment. So you can't ask them to add. And we need to negotiate instead and maybe think of a, something we'd be willing to trade. And I was thinking, oh, we can't have that conversation in the form of a fucking open letter, though. We need something a little bit more grown up. And this is a little bit when the, the wheels started to turn in my head that that's what the collective bargaining process is. And so I started to just reach out on LinkedIn to the people in that thread because I thought, okay, if I'm going to talk about unions, that's going to frighten people on company systems. So I was reaching out to people on LinkedIn and I was doing that on the Friday. By the Monday, I was like, screw this, we're going public. And I made a, a channel in Slack called Collective Avtal. And it had like 100 people after about a day. And yeah, since then it's grown to be, I think third or fourth biggest channel in, in Slack, maybe 2,000-ish people in there. It's really kicked off. And how many people have joined a union then in Spotify? So other countries I can't speak to. In Sweden, I know that we were able to harness the sort of energy of the layoffs to carriers to a majority. So absolute numbers I'm not sure of anymore in Sweden because the number of people who've left, for example, I'm not 100% certain of. It's not, not a particularly transparent process when it's done with like mass buyouts. But um, what I do know is we were pretty confident a while back that we'd crossed the majority threshold. So hundreds joined. I think we have 700 or more in Unionen and then about hundreds more in these other unions and it's this coalition. I love coalitions in Sweden. Yeah, at some point we did the math so we decided, okay, we've, we've sailed past majority now. So we, we move forward. So since then I've stopped looking at the numbers. It's changed and gone up since then. So I, I hate to say numbers because they'll sound low compared to what they are now, but it's, yeah, we, we sailed past the majority a while back. And how did the Spotify management react to this uh, thread on Slack coming out? And You know, fair play to them on this. They stayed out of it. They left it to us, which I think is the right thing to do. They haven't tried to stop us. You know, you hear about in America, these meetings they have, these consultants they bring in, all of this sort of, they play these silly games. And 
It's not really the way things are done in Sweden. I've got to say fair play to Spotify. They haven't, they've become a bit of an American company in some ways over the years. You know, they've gradually moved over there, but they've held on to some, some core Swedish values here and, and they've not tried to mess with us at all. They've said only nice things to us. In fact, like they've made a couple little statements here and there privately or publicly internal in the company about, you know, welcoming us. So it's looking really promising in, in that respect. So you don't expect them to fight it? Hell no. I am. Um, I really don't. I mean this as well. I am um, because um, journalists keep asking me, "What happens if they say no? What happens if they say no?" Everyone wants me to say, "Oh, it's going to be a big fight." And the fact is, I don't think it is. One of the reasons I was actually so confident to do this is, um, so I was away from the company when they announced the remote work policy. Is what enabled me to come back because I live in Malmo now. They announced this policy before the pandemic was even ended. They'd they'd sort of incorporated the remote work from the pandemic into the company's brand. They'd come up with a name for the concept. They, they had packaged it in a policy and it had a whole process around it. And I saw that and I thought, these people can roll with change. They understand how to adapt to change and profit from it, even in the sort of personnel HR stuff. And I saw that and I was like, they're not going to have any trouble with a union initiative, these people. This is... This is easy for them. And, and the tech industry historically has been pretty resistant to change, especially in the US. You've seen you know, Amazon and, and has been fighting unionization as much as they can. And do you think that's going to change? And, and why do you think the tech industry has been so resistant to unions in the past? And do you think that might change as it matures? So the issue of resistance in the past is very multifaceted. Partly, I think, um, like in the last 10 years, the, the sort of low interest rate era has made, there's been cash everywhere in the tech industry. So benefits and especially like perks, like, you know, toys and games and, and things like that have been very easy to find for tech workers, which has dampened the sort of desire to negotiate, shall we say. And now that the, the, the money is gone, I see that people are sort of thinking a little bit more in terms of like business and, and you know, wanting to have some influence on how to allocate the money that, that is there, you know? Like, this isn't really about fighting for them to increase their personnel costs. It's more about just saying where the personnel budget that does exist is spent sort of thing. And I think that's what's awakening now. And the thing is, that's awakening industry-wide, right? This isn't just happening in Sweden and it isn't just happening in Spotify. I actively network with other tech workers in Sweden and worldwide. I've been on the phone to the folks at Google, at YouTube Music. And whenever I see a new union form, I reach out to them, I email them. I've had a word with the folks at Bandcamp, for example. It's not just like uh, individual isolated unions forming. We're all talking. It's a, it's a movement and I'm hearing the same story everywhere. The things I'm saying is the things I'm hearing back from people in every company. And, and one, one of the strengths of the tech industry is that it can move quickly and make decisions quickly and launch new things. Do you think that maybe being too unionised is, is a barrier to that? It makes it harder. You have to negotiate everything with unions. You need to have a collective agreement. You can no longer move so quickly. This is such an important question. I think this is a fear a lot of people have. In tech, we're very loyal to our employers. We want to sort of be small entrepreneurs ourselves. So I have this, this instinct myself, this I want the maneuverability. So this has been something I've paid a lot of attention to. One example for this is once you sign a collective agreement in Sweden, for example, it's not that it makes, say, redundancies harder to implement. In some ways, it can even make them like easier because once you have the sort of formal lines of negotiation, you don't have to get into these silly fights where you know, you're arguing with each other, like you should have notified us sooner and all of this because you just sort of have this defined process that you follow. And it just, it tends to go a lot smoother, in fact. So if, if you need to sort of quickly go, oh, shit, and, and cut the budget, you can pull it off perhaps even more efficiently. 
How have uh, Union and the union that you've been part of been to deal with? I mean, can they do stuff in English? Can they explain the collective Avtal in English? Or, or do you have to speak Swedish? I mean, how is your Swedish? Do you have to speak Swedish well? Or are they able to help workers in Sweden using English? So this is an important one. They um, They are quite good at handling the English side of things. They're getting better and they're getting better fast. They recognize the importance of this. So like, for example, they have these online courses for people who have been elected as union representatives. They have some of them in English and the majority are not in Swedish. And also the way they're built blocks the sort of auto translate button in your browser from translating them as you go. So there's some friction there. But what I've noticed is that they understand the importance of this. They see companies like Spotify, like Klarna, full of like people with not so great Swedish comprehension skills and they're understanding that this is this whole of, of missing membership that they have in this sector is partly correlated with, with this language gap so that the, the work to address that is ongoing and seems to be picking up there's a regional conference this month and one of the topics up for discussion is that more English language materials needed for example if you want to talk to people foreigners who listen to the local I mean why if they don't have a collective agreement at their company, should they try and get one like you have? If they do have a collective agreement, should they join the union? I mean, what, what's the benefit for foreign workers in Sweden? So off the top of my head, like the main one that I find gets people to sit up in their seats is the collective agreement will give you a sort of guaranteed annual increase of salary that may, in, in a lot of companies, that can be a big difference depending on the sort of salary review policy. Another thing that I've found a lot of people... Are, at Spotify are very excited about is that it will bring transparency around salary bands. So at Spotify, we um, this has been so wanted for so many years. Back in like 2015, some engineer made a spreadsheet for people to just put their role, their city and their salary in. And it has like thousands of rows in now. Like the hunger for that has been there for years. A collective agreement just comes along and just solves that for you. Another thing that is, I think, so important is that the, um, the stability it gives to the, the compensation it can make a big difference to your life. Like I, I was working at a startup that had a really rough patch and we didn't have a CBA. And we were just about to, we were just planning our first kid. And this, this startup, they, I, I'm not slagging them off by the way, this is people I like. They cut their parental leave policy, their pay policy. So they, they had 100% top up of the parental pay. They cut it to zero. So instead of getting my full salary for the six months I was off, I got the Forsakings Kassan standard amount, mm. which is enough to live off and pay the bills. but it is significantly less than I would have otherwise got. And what a CBA would have done there is it wouldn't have prevented that startup from balancing their bucks because it was their policy was more generous than, than the CBA terms would have been. But it would have also given me a little bit more in my pocket. So there would have been a bit of give and take there where I wouldn't have been quite so hard up during the pandemic with my first kid and they would have still been able to you know balance their bucks. So that's actually another good example of... Um, you know, being able to move fast as well. It's, Sweden is the land of compromise, it really is. And if you have these salary bans, doesn't that make it more difficult to have kind of performance-based pay like, like you often have in the tech industry? You know, you want to reward people who are really good and maybe not reward people who are slacking a bit. Yeah, so the way the CBA salaries work is they don't say, okay, you have to make this amount if you're at this level and you can only get this amount of an increase. What it does is it, you still have a band the same way as you do without the CBA and you still have like increases the way you do without. But what the CBA does is it says nobody can, on average, people need to be getting like this amount of a pay increase. And on top of that, you can still give performance-based increases to you know people who are performing well. But 
it also means that you can't sort of, you know, for example, freeze someone out of a company by, you know, putting a little asterisk next to their name and, and never giving them a salary increase or nasty little things like that that you do sometimes see in the, the darker end of the industry. And you've had to take a pay cut. I mean, wh- wh- why did that happen? Do you think you're being punished by the company? Or? So I turned down a buyout offer because they said that my role had been made redundant. What that meant is that we went through the formal Swedish redundancy process, which is, that you know, they have to define the new organization. They have to negotiate about who's going to be in each role that's left. And part of that negotiation, one of the steps is called redeployment, where they have to look for other open roles in the company that the people who are in redundant roles are qualified for. In my case, they actually sort of, they sort of created a role because the, the, whole, the point of this process in Sweden is to have nobody lose work if possible, because it's awful if someone has to lose their job. And that's the founding principle of the law, because if we'd gone to the final step, which is last in, first out, then what, what happens is you have people with less tenure at the company than me doing work I'm qualified for. They get squeezed out so that I can stay. And that's going to be ugly for Spotify. And frankly, it's going to be very ugly for me as well, because I have to then live with this awful survivor guilt. So instead, what's happened is they've found a more junior role in a different department with quite a lot less money. Not the greatest step of my career to be honest. I'm still pretty devastated about this and it's had a big impact on my life. I um, yeah, can't save for a home anymore. My wife's probably dropping out of university. It's been a bit of a, an explosion, but I'd rather that and stay and continue the work towards a collective agreement. And as to the question of like whether I feel like I'm being punished, everyone who gets one of these offers in their bad moments has like a sort of why me question. This is a, one of the awful things about the sort of the targeted buyout offers approach. I'm not a fan of that. I'm hoping that we'll do a more standard negotiated redundancy process in future once we have the CBA at Spotify. But um, yeah, every single person who gets one of these offers manages to sort of find a reason in their head why they've been targeted. In, in practice, it tends to be spreadsheets have decided this, not someone sitting and thinking about who they don't like. So you don't think it's because of your union activities? No, no, no. I am. I'm quite doubtful of that. Like I say, this isn't Amazon. This isn't Apple. This isn't, you know, Starbucks. This is a Swedish company and a a serious one. So I am. I expect that a spreadsheet has said uh, this person's salary and then and tenure and and role and so on. And it's, you know, basically some sort of calculation or algorithm has has picked me out. I mean, how has it been since the layoffs were announced in January? I mean, how's that affected the company? I think that the week or two after them, Barely an hour of work got done worldwide at Spotify because everyone was just knocked flat on their ass by the shock of it. It's normal, right? Layoffs suck. And I, I talk about wanting to do proper negotiated ones instead of targeted buyouts. And the fact is, in fairness to the poor people in HR at Spotify, have really worked hard throughout this. Even if you do it like in the sort of maximum Swedish way, it's still going to suck for everyone. There's no perfect way to do this. It's been really rough. But um, what I've seen now is people are starting to recover psychologically. And like the news this week where we've filed for the, you know, formally to negotiate about a CBA, it's, it feels kind of like a punctuation mark on the end of the, the layoffs part of the year. And now we're moving into the sort of collective agreement part of the year. And it's like a healing thing where we're sort of collaborating with the company instead of feeling like we're fighting with them. It's, it's, a, it's actually been a very, very important healing moment for me personally, at least. And do you think that the, that the layoffs, have, have, that they've really helped the unionised company? Could you have done it without the layoffs? So the plan when I started this in, in November, obviously the plan was no layoffs. I, I wasn't, the idea that layoffs might happen had crossed my mind because things were looking pretty dicey back last year. 
but I wasn't genuinely wasn't expecting him. And um, my expectation was that to get to the point where we're at today was going to require a year, maybe 18 months of fairly hard organizing work of speaking to people at lunch times and after work, building, you know, a structure, identifying who I need to speak to. And it was going to take a while. And I was up for that. What the layoffs have done, the silver lining of them is that it's cut that time down now quite significantly. By my calculations, we got about a year of growth in about a week because of that. And I don't really, I'm not really very comfortable with the idea that I benefited in any way from this because people's lives were, were destroyed that week. I saw some real suffering, but th there's a silver lining. And I think those people who, who did lose their jobs, actually, they see this as a benefit themselves. It, it gives some meaning to what happened to them. So in that respect, maybe it's okay that we, we benefited from it. And what, what do you expect to happen next with the um, collective bargain process? I mean, how did it feel when Union, Union made its formal approach this week? So I was smiling like uh, a mad person all day about this. I've been wanting to do this for weeks. The only reason we haven't done it much sooner is basically resource constraints in the unions, because there's, there's so much going on this year. They can't do this many like um, negotiation petitions all the time, non-stop. There has to be some sort of structure and rhythm to it. And if, if it wasn't for that, if it was up to me, we'd have done this a month ago. So I, I've been sort of holding my breath, bouncing up and down in my seat, wanting to get this, get to this moment now for a good while. So for me, it was just a huge relief. And yeah, just a, a massive, massive happy moment because we've been in the beginning, the, the chapter one, the last six months, when we, it's, it's been a lot of talk and now it's advanced beyond talk. It's real. It's happening. That's that's what it means to me. What's happened so far from Spotify and when do you expect the process to, to start rolling? So we sent them the negotiation petition on Wednesday around lunchtime. What I would expect is that it's going to take them a minute to sort of gather themselves and respond to that because what's happened is it's going to feel like quite a significant change on their end. And I'm very sympathetic to this. I think this is... Um, there's a lot of like stigma and, and cultural things around unions. Even even if you're Swedish, it can be. And I think from an employer perspective, I can't even imagine. It must feel like a threat to the authority. Well, it's a it's an unknown. So they're probably going to take a, a few days to think about what exactly they want to say back. And yeah, but in practice, what's going to happen is there'll be a first meeting, and then probably a second, a third, and so on. And then a few months of negotiations, and then most likely an agreement will be signed. And, do, and how do you expect the agreement to look? Do you think a, a tech industry agreement or an agreement that suits Spotify will look different from how an agreement looks, say, for the steel industry or something industrial? So in the tech sector, there are a few different sort of central agreements that could be considered in this process. It's difficult to say exactly what's going to happen because us going through this process and almost simultaneously you have Klarna going through it. And these are two employers that are a little tiny bit different in some ways than, than some other tech employers. So I don't want to sort of put too fine a point on what I think is going to happen because who knows, it, it could be new stuff happening this time around that is a little bit unusual compared to normal. But in general, there are tech sector central agreements that are just off the shelf things that you can just sort of sign. And it's possible and maybe even likely that we'll, that, that will be our starting point. So it, it could just be something like Technician Stuff Toilet, for example. And the, the off-the-shelf one, who's, who's put them together? Union or...? Yeah, so what you have in Sweden is um, you have these employer organizations that represent, like, several employers in a sector. So there's one called Teknikföretagen, which is, you know, it's tech employers. And, and they negotiate collectively with unions, and they produce these central agreements. And then employers who are members of those organizations, 
that's just the rules of being a member is that those agreements apply at your workplace. So, you know, joining those organizations is one of the sort of possible outcomes of the negotiations, in fact. So they would just join the employers group for, for the tech industry. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you say like Klarna and Spotify are different companies, I mean, my feeling, I'm um, Klarna is a bit more hard edged and um, maybe ideological, you know, uh, in its leadership. And uh, do, do you expect them to put up more of a fight? That's an interesting one, actually. I am. Um... So the way I've looked at this is the people at Klarna who organized, they began years back. So you're talking sort of 2019, 2020, when they formed their Union Club. That's a different climate, right? That's You're still in the low interest rate era. You're still before all of this sort of global surge of, of worker power. And so the response that they got way back then, I think, is, is a different era. And, and what I see now, because I speak to the people at that club, we are close collaborators. I see that it's all turning around. The, the relationship seems to be warming up there too, because I think everyone on both sides of the negotiating table basically sees that you know something's happening here. This is like trying to fight the tide. So you, you think the tech industry in Sweden will eventually just become part of the Swedish system like every other, every other company, that it will become sort of absorbed into the, the Swedish collaborative way of running business and, and society? Oh, absolutely. For me, that's table stakes. That's my um, step one of my goals. I want a tech job in Sweden to be a union job, the same way as any other comparable job would be. But for me, that's just step one. I want to export this abroad too. I'm hard at work. I want to get, you know, America, the UK involved too. And that's more of a struggle. I mean, I mean, is there a risk that uh, Spotify or Klarna will just move their operations out of Sweden if it's easier for them to manage their employees there? Not really. I think um, this question stems from the this, this sort of worry about the flexibility issue. And it's um, the, the thing about it is, is that the, the collective agreement in the long run, what Spotify is going to find is that it's actually a competitive advantage. It's going to be such a boost for the employer brand to have been one of the companies that um, embraces all of this because it's going to be a differentiator from the likes of Apple and Amazon who've made arseholes of themselves because they've tried to fight this and they're going to lose. And Spotify is going to look like forward thinking and it's going to be attractive and it's, it's not going to be a case where they're going to have to sort of react negatively. It's going to be the case that the more energy they pour into this, the more they're going to get out too. So it's, um, I see it going quite well, actually. I'm excited for them. Where were you working before you came to Spotify? I was working at a company called Mix Radio in Bristol. It was a music streaming company, just like Spotify. And how does the experience of working for a UK tech employer compare to um, working for, for, for a Swedish one? I mean, is, is Spotify... Does it feel Swedish? Oh, yeah. I learned after coming to work at a Swedish company how similar UK culture and working culture is to America. Because in the UK, it's sort of all about hard work, long hours, getting things done and, you know, just go, go, go. And I got a big shock when I came to Sweden and I encountered this sort of consensus culture, this dot voting, this, this idea that, you know, you have to have have a fika and achieve quite strong consensus before you can make what, from the UK, I would consider to be fairly safe changes to just do without asking anyone. It drove me mad for years, actually. I've come to terms with it now and I've started to, you know, see the benefits of it. But for a long time, I really struggled with that. And in terms of the, the, the work culture, it's the sort of more reasonable expectations of how much, how many hours you put in. I mean, is that also the case in Spotify? Oh, yeah, yeah. Work-life balance at Spotify is second to none. People, you, you hear about cases of people burning out in a large organization. It's, it's inevitable that there's pockets where there's issues. But on the whole, it's um, the best I've ever seen in my entire life in terms of work-life balance at Spotify. 
Because I'm told that isn't the case in the gaming industry in Sweden, because uh, something about the way deadlines work in the gaming industry, but that's like a... Yeah, I've heard that that's the case in the gaming industry worldwide. It's it's too fun to make games, I think is the problem. It's, if, you, if you're a game developer and you've decided you don't like your working conditions, the incentives of the power relationship are such that the employer doesn't really have to give a damn. They can just say, well, quit then, because there's six people lined up for your job. Actually, a really excellent environment for unions to step in and, and fix that, by the way, if there's any game developers listening. You've just been listening to Richard's interview with Henry Catalini-Smith, the Unionen Club chairperson at Spotify. And you can check the show notes for links to related articles. Our sound engineer on this podcast is Rhys Edwards. I'm Paul Amani, and we'll be back again on Saturday with a regular episode of the podcast. Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That's all for this week's free edition of Sweden in Focus. If you'd like to hear a full-length version of the podcast each week, as well as an additional midweek episode with more interviews and analysis, please upgrade to Membership Plus. Make sure to check the episode notes for details on how to upgrade. Sweden in Focus is a podcast by The Local Europe. Our sound engineer is Rhys Edwards. The publisher is James Savage.